Section 22 of Volume 1C of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Dickey. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1C section twenty two chapter thirty one part one henry the eighth the ancient and almost uninterrupted opposition of interests between the laity and the clergy in england and between the english clergy and the court of rome had sufficiently prepared the nation for a breach with the sovereign pontiff and men had penetration enough to discover abuses which were plainly calculated for the temporal advantages of the hierarchy and which they found destructive of their own these subjects seemed proportioned to human understanding, and even the people who felt the power of interest in their own breasts could perceive the purpose of those numerous inventions which the interested spirit of the Roman pontiff had introduced into religion. But when the reformers proceeded thence to dispute concerning the nature of the sacraments, the operations of grace, the terms of acceptance with the deity, men were thrown into amazement and were during some time at a loss how to choose their party the profound ignorance in which both the clergy and laity formerly lived and their freedom from theological altercations had produced a sincere but indolent acquiescence in received opinions and the multitude were neither attached to them by topics of reasoning nor by those prejudices and antipathies against opponents which have ever a more natural and powerful influence over them as soon therefore as a new opinion was advanced supported by such an authority as to call up their attention they felt their capacity totally unfitted for such disquisitions and they perpetually fluctuated between the contending parties hence the quick and violent movements by which the people were agitated even in the most opposite directions hence their seeming prostitution in sacrificing to present power the most sacred principles and hence the rapid progress during some time and the sudden as well as entire check soon after of the new doctrines when men were once settled in their particular sects and had fortified themselves in an habitual detestation of those who were denominated heretics they adhered with more obstinacy to the principles of their education and the limits of the two religions thenceforth remained fixed and unchangeable nothing more forwarded the first progress of the reformers than the offer which they made of submitting all religious doctrines to private judgment and the summons given every one to examine the principles formerly imposed upon him though the multitude were totally unqualified for this undertaking they yet were highly pleased with it they fancied that they were exercising their judgment while they opposed to the prejudices of ancient authority more powerful prejudices of another kind the novelty itself of the doctrines the pleasure of an imaginary triumph in dispute the fervent zeal of the reformed preachers their patience and even alacrity in suffering persecution death and torments a disgust at the restraints of the old religion an indignation against the tyranny and interested spirit of the ecclesiastics 
these motives were prevalent with the people and by such considerations were men so generally induced during that age to throw off the religion of their ancestors but in proportion as the practice of submitting religion to private judgment was acceptable to the people it appeared in some respects dangerous to the rights of sovereigns and seemed to destroy that implicit obedience on which the authority of the civil magistrate is chiefly founded the very precedent of shaking so ancient and deep-founded an establishment as that of the romish hierarchy might it was apprehended prepare the way for other innovations the republican spirit which naturally took place among the reformers increased this jealousy the furious insurrections of the populace excited by munzer and other anabaptists in germany furnished a new pretense for decrying the reformation nor ought we to conclude because protestants in our time prove as dutiful subjects as those of any other communion that therefore such apprehensions were altogether without any shadow of plausibility though the liberty of private judgment be tendered to the disciples of the reformation it is not in reality accepted of and men are generally contented to acquiesce implicitly in those establishments however new into which their early education has thrown them no prince in europe was possessed of such absolute authority as henry not even the pope himself in his own capital where he united both the civil and ecclesiastical powers and there was small likelihood that any doctrine which lay under the imputation of encouraging sedition could ever pretend to his favor and countenance but besides this political jealousy there was another reason which inspired this imperious monarch with an aversion to the reformers he had early declared his sentiments against luther and having entered the lists in those scholastic quarrels he had received from his courtiers and theologians infinite applause for his performance elated by this imaginary success and blinded by a natural arrogance and obstinacy of temper he had entertained the most lofty opinion of his own erudition and he received with impatience mixed with contempt any contradiction to his sentiments luther also had been so imprudent as to treat in a very indecent manner his royal antagonist and though he afterwards made the most humble submissions to henry and apologized for the vehemence of his former expressions he never could efface the hatred which the king had conceived against him and his doctrines the idea of heresy still appeared detestable as well as formidable to that prince and whilst his resentment against the see of rome had corrected one considerable part of his early prejudices he had made it a point of honor never to relinquish the remainder separate as he stood from the catholic church and from the roman pontiff the head of it he still valued himself on maintaining the catholic doctrine and on guarding by fire and a sword the imagined purity of his speculative principles henry's ministers and courtiers were of as motley a character as his conduct and seemed to waver during this whole reign between the ancient and the new religion the queen engaged by interest as well as inclination favored the cause of the reformers 
Cromwell, who was created Secretary of State, and who was daily advancing in the king's confidence, had embraced the same views, and as he was a man of prudence and abilities, he was able, very effectually, though in a covert manner, to promote the late innovations. Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, had secretly adopted the Protestant tenets, and he had gained Henry's friendship by his candor and sincerity virtues which he possessed in as eminent a degree as those times equally distracted with faction and oppressed by tyranny could easily permit on the other hand the duke of norfolk adhered to the ancient faith and by his high rank as well as by his talents both for peace and war he had great authority in the king's council gardiner lately created bishop of winchester had enlisted himself in the same party and the suppleness of his character and dexterity of his conduct had rendered him extremely useful to it all these ministers while they stood in the most irreconcilable opposition of principles to each other were obliged to disguise their particular opinions and to pretend an entire agreement with the sentiments of their master cromwell and cranmer still carried the appearance of a conformity to the ancient speculative tenets but they artfully made use of henry's resentment to widen the breach with the see of rome norfolk and gardiner feigned an assent to the king's supremacy and to his renunciation of the sovereign pontiff but they encouraged his passion for the catholic faith and instigated him to punish those daring heretics who had presumed to reject his theological principles both sides hoped by their unlimited compliance to bring him over to their party the king meanwhile who held the balance between the factions was enabled by the courtship paid him both by protestants and catholics to assume an unbounded authority and though in all his measures he was really driven by his ungoverned humor he casually steered a course which led more certainly to arbitrary power than any which the most profound politics could have traced out to him artifice refinement and hypocrisy in his situation would have put both parties on their guard against him and would have taught them reserve in complying with a monarch whom they could never hope thoroughly to have gained but while the frankness sincerity and openness of henry's temper were generally known as well as the dominion of his furious passions each side dreaded to lose him by the smallest opposition and flattered themselves that a blind compliance with his will would throw him cordially and fully into their interests the ambiguity of the king's conduct though it kept the courtiers in awe served in the main to encourage the protestant doctrine among his subjects and promoted that spirit of innovation with which the age was generally seized and which nothing but an entire uniformity as well as a steady severity in the administration could be able to repress there were some englishmen tyndall joy constantine and others who dreading the exertion of the king's authority had fled to antwerp where the great privileges possessed by the low country provinces served during some time to give them protection these men employed themselves in writing english books against the corruptions of the church of rome against images relics pilgrimages and they excited the curiosity of men with regard to that question the most important in the theology the terms of acceptance with the supreme being 
in conformity to the lutherans and other protestants they asserted that salvation was obtained by faith alone and that the most infallible road to perdition was a reliance on good works by which terms they understood as well as the moral duties as the ceremonial and monastic observances the defenders of the ancient religion on the other hand maintained the efficacy of good works but though they did not exclude from this appellation the social virtues it was still the superstitions gainful to the church which they chiefly extolled and recommended the books composed by these fugitives having stolen over to england began to make converts everywhere but it was a translation of the scriptures by tyndall that was esteemed the most dangerous to the established faith the first edition of this work composed with little accuracy was found liable to considerable objections and tyndall who was poor and could not afford to lose a great part of the impression was longing for an opportunity of correcting his errors of which he had been made sensible tonstall then bishop of london soon after of durham a man of great moderation being desirous to discourage in the gentlest manner these innovations gave private orders for buying up all the copies that could be found at antwerp and he burned them publicly in cheapside by this measure he supplied tyndall with money enabled him to print a new and correct edition of his work and gave great scandal to the people in thus committing to the flames the word of god the disciples of the reformation met with little severity during the ministry of wolsey who though himself a clergyman bore too small a regard to the ecclesiastical order to serve as an instrument of their tyranny it was even an article of impeachment against him that by his connivance he had encouraged the growth of heresy and that he had protected and acquitted some notorious offenders sir thomas more who succeeded wolsey as chancellor is at once an object deserving our compassion and an instance of the usual progress of men's sentiments during that age this man whose elegant genius and familiar acquaintance with the noble spirit of antiquity had given him very enlarged sentiments and who had in his early years advanced principles which even at present would be deemed somewhat too free had in the course of events been so irritated by polemics and thrown into such a superstitious attachment to the ancient faith that few inquisitors have been guilty of greater violence in their prosecution of heresy though adorned with the gentlest manners as well as the purest integrity he carried to the utmost height his aversion to heterodoxy and james bainham in particular a gentleman of the temple experienced from him the greatest severity bainham accused of favoring the new opinions was carried to moore's house and having refused to discover his accomplices the chancellor ordered him to be whipped in his presence and afterwards sent him to the tower where he himself saw him put to the torture the unhappy gentleman overcome by all these severities abjured his opinions but feeling afterwards the deepest compunction for his apostasy he openly returned to his former tenets and even courted the crown of martyrdom he was condemned as an obstinate and relapsed heretic and was burned in the smithfield many were brought into the bishop's courts for offences which appear trivial but which were regarded as symbols of the party some for teaching their children the lord's prayer in english 
others for reading the new testament in that language or for speaking against pilgrimages to harbor the persecuted preachers to neglect the fasts of the church to declaim against the vices of the clergy were capital offenses one thomas bilney a priest who had embraced the new doctrine had been terrified into an abjuration but was so haunted by remorse that his friends dreaded some fatal effects of his despair at last his mind seemed to be more relieved but this appearing calm proceeded only from the resolution which he had taken of expiating his past offence by an open confession of the truth and by dying a martyr to it he went through norfolk teaching the people to beware of idolatry and of trusting for their salvation either to pilgrimages or to the cowl of st francis to the prayers of the saints or to images he was soon seized tried in the bishop's court and condemned as a relapsed heretic and the writ was sent down to burn him when brought to the stake he discovered such patience fortitude and devotion that the spectators were much affected with the horrors of his punishment and some mendicant friars who were present fearing that his martyrdom would be imputed to them and make them lose those alms which they received from the charity of the people desired him publicly to acquit them of having any hand in his death he willingly complied and by this meekness gained the more on the sympathy of the people another person still more heroic being brought to the stake for denying the real presence seemed almost in a transport of joy and he tenderly embraced the faggots which were to be the instruments of his punishment as the means of procuring him eternal rest in short the tide turning towards the new doctrine those severe executions which in another disposition of men's minds would have sufficed to suppress it now served only to diffuse it the more among the people and to inspire them with horror against the unrelenting persecutors but though henry neglected not to punish the protestant doctrine which he deemed heresy his most formidable enemies he knew were the zealous adherents to the ancient religion chiefly the monks who having their immediate dependence on the roman pontiff apprehended their own ruin to be the certain consequence of abolishing his authority in england pedo a friar preaching before the king had the assurance to tell him that many lying prophets had deceived him but he as a true micaiah warned him that the dogs would lick his blood as they had done ahab's the king took no notice of the insult but allowed the preacher to depart in peace next sunday he employed dr corin to preach before him who justified the king's proceedings and gave pedo the appellations of a rebel a slanderer a dog and a traitor elston another friar of the same house interrupted the preacher and told him that he was one of the lying prophets who sought to establish by adultery the succession of the crown but that he himself would justify all that pedo had said henry silenced the petulant friar but showed no other mark of resentment than ordering pedo and him to be summoned before the council and to be rebuked for their offence he even here bore patiently some new instances of their obstinacy and arrogance when the earl of essex a privy councillor told them that they deserved for their offence to be thrown into the times elston replied that the road to heaven lay as near by water as by land 
but several monks were detected in a conspiracy which as it might have proved more dangerous to the king was on its discovery attended with more fatal consequences to themselves elizabeth barton of aldington in kent commonly called the holy maid of kent had been subject to hysterical fits which threw her body into unusual convulsions and having produced an equal disorder in her mind made her utter strange sayings which as she was scarcely conscious of them during the time had soon after entirely escaped her memory the silly people in the neighborhood were struck with these appearances which they imagined to be supernatural and richard masters vicar of the parish a designing fellow founded on them a project from which he hoped to acquire both profit and consideration he went to warham archbishop of canterbury then alive and having given him an account of elizabeth's revelations he so far wrought on that prudent but superstitious prelate as to receive orders from him to watch her in her trances and carefully to note down all her future sayings the regard paid her by a person of so high a rank soon rendered her still more the object of attention to the neighborhood and it was easy for masters to persuade them as well as the maid herself that her ravings were inspirations of the holy ghost knavery as is usual soon after succeeding to delusion she learned to counterfeit trances and she then uttered in an extraordinary tone such speeches as were dictated to her by her spiritual director masters associated with him dr bocking a canon of canterbury and their design was to raise the credit of an image of the virgin which stood in a chapel belonging to masters and to draw to it such pilgrimages as usually frequented the more famous images and relics in prosecution of this design elizabeth pretended revelations which directed her to have recourse to that image for a cure and being brought before it in the presence of a great multitude she fell anew into convulsions and after distorting her limbs and countenance during a competent time she affected to have obtained a perfect recovery by the intercession of the virgin this miracle was soon bruited abroad and the two priests finding the imposture to succeed beyond their own expectations began to extend their views and to lay the foundation of more important enterprises they taught their penitent to declaim against the new doctrines which she denominated heresy against innovations in ecclesiastical government and against the king's intended divorce from catherine she went so far as to assert that if he prosecuted that design and married another he should not be a king a month longer and should not an hour longer enjoy the favor of the almighty but should die the death of a villain many monks throughout england either from folly or roguery or from faction which is often a complication of both entered into the delusion and one deering a friar wrote a book of the revelations and prophecies of elizabeth miracles were daily added to increase the wonder and the pulpit everywhere resounded with accounts of the sanctity and inspirations of the new prophetess messages were carried from her to queen catherine by which that princess was exhorted to persist in her opposition to the divorce the pope's ambassadors gave encouragement to the popular credulity and even fisher bishop of rochester though a man of sense and learning was carried away by an opinion so favorable to the party which he had espoused 
End of section twenty two, chapter thirty one, part one. Recording by Nathan Dickey, Ashland, Oregon, journeymanheretic.blogspot.com.